0: Welcome to the Learner Centered Spaces podcast, where we empower and inspire ownership of learning. Sponsored by Mastery Portfolio, hosted by Star Saxstein
1: and Crystal Frommer.
0: In each episode, we will bring you engaging conversations with a wide variety of educators, both
1: in and out of the classroom. This podcast is created for educators who want to learn more about how to make the shift toward learner centered spaces for their students, schools, and districts or education at large.
0: The Learner Centered Spaces podcast is now a member of the Teach Better Podcast Network.
1: Kyle Pierce and John Orr are both former high school teachers and K-12 mathematics consultants and coaches. Together they co-founded Make Math Moments, where they develop professional development and classroom resources for K-12 educators and district leaders to spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite teacher moves so all students can realize their fullest potential in mathematics.
0: Good afternoon, John and Kyle. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, your roles, your locations, your journey, maybe an interesting fact?
2: Hey absolutely thanks so much uh we are so excited to be here we are honored to get a chance to chat with you and uh yeah uh i guess i'll start my name's Kyle Pierce i'm uh, one of the one of the two co-founders of Make Math Moments uh i am from Bell River Ontario which is a little town outside of Windsor Ontario which people probably also don't know but it's right across the river from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, so uh yeah, we're really excited to uh, chat all things math and uh my uh my co-founder here is uh John. John, take yeah. it away.
3: Hey everybody. Thanks uh thanks again for having us. Uh yeah, co-founder of Make Math Moments. I was a high school teacher for 19 years. Um, and you know, spent much of that time, you know, dabbling in in strategies to engage my students, but also you know, help deepen their learning. I spent the first ten years being a very traditional high school math teacher, and you know, started to change what I was doing in the classroom to, as I said, engage and strengthen my my the learners that I was facing every day, and that that blossomed into sharing that, you know, with with folks and meeting Kyle and and kind of us together. Uh, you know building make math moments and, and sharing that with our podcast uh, with our annual summit every year uh, that which which uh, we're excited to uh, talk here with you guys
0: so if you could describe what a learner-centered space looks like in a math class how does it feel sound um, sound like what what is typical of a learner-centered space for you
2: well, for us, it's all about students doing the thinking. Uh, and in order for mm-hmm. students to do the thinking, what we really, really try to emphasize is students doing the talking. Um, so in our classroom, in a math moments lesson, so if, you know, if you explore any of our 60 plus Make math moments, units of study. You'll notice that all units start with a problem-based experience for students. Uh, we typically leverage um, all of the best practices that are out there. And we try to essentially build our structure off of those shoulders of giants. So one such uh, one such person right now that's on everyone's radar is Peter Lildehall and is building thinking classroom. So we love getting students into those randomized, visibly randomized groups we get them up to those vertical surfaces so they can collaborate. And really a lot of our job as the educator is the observing, the listening, and just allowing students to have those conversations so that we're really learning from them as to what are they bringing to the table? Because our students, do know so much, and uh, you know it took us a very long time. John had mentioned very traditional teachers, both of us coming out of the box. We had both explored mathematics uh, or learned mathematics in a very traditional sense. And at the end of the day, um, we didn't know what that actually looked like, what it meant to actually be at the center of the learning. And uh, now we recognize that, oh my gosh, we can learn so much from the kids and we have an opportunity if we give them problems that they themselves are able to grapple with and struggle with. And of course, we're being very intentional with these tasks that we're giving Mm -hmm, students mm -hmm. um, so that we can learn from them and adjust our practice to best suit the needs of those students.
0: So if I, that book has been such a lifeline Um, as a humanity, my background is humanities. And I taught English and social studies. I work mostly with English and social studies. But occasionally, I work with math and science folks. And that book has been a lifeline Mm. for me. Um, Not only is it super practical and research-based, it's stuff you could implement right away. And I get so much buy-in from math teachers when I make recommendations from it. And the follow-up book that he did for All Subject Matters is also super useful, so I appreciate that you mentioned that book because I think it's it's a really important read for all educators, mm-hmm. regardless of what you teach.
3: Yeah, I totally agree, and you know, I think I think yes, we, we hear it all the time with the districts that we work with, with uh, with with teachers who reach out to us. That it has been a, a you know a game changer for classrooms. Uh, we've got you know it's one of the most I think implementable. Quick start um, actions, you know, that can basically be a gain, like a, a gateway change for many teachers who weren't sure exactly how to change their math instruction from, uh, you know, that traditional, you know, you know, the I do, we do, you do model to something that was had students more, you know, more engaged, more, you know, taking action in their own learning and 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 being the thinkers first in the classroom. I think I think there was an army of teachers who. Who were like me in my first, you know, my early years, very, that very traditional teacher who, you know, want the best for the students and I think all teachers, I think, want the best for their students but you know that group of that group of teachers who are, who are trying to like, you know, teach the best way they can and and following the i do we do model but just wasn't sure of like how do i change that and still kind of meet my expectations and and meet the standards and help teacher you know help students you know reach those standards and i think that peter's work um with with you know vertical non-permanent services but also you know structuring tasks so that it keeps kids in flow um has has been such a I think it's that it's that that first step that that's something that a teacher who's traditional can go down that pathway and see it working in the, in their existing classrooms.
1: This is Crystal here and I have to say I am such a huge fan of your podcast and I am so proud to present at your virtual summit coming up in the middle of November and I am also <laughs> a a fangirl of uh, building thinking classrooms as well. And um, can I just tell you a quick story about how proud I am of, of my seventh graders? So yes. we do non-permanent vertical spaces where we're writing. We do randomize, visibly random groups. And I was running late to class, which is a bad habit of mine. And the students see me every day, go to random.org. I randomize and they know where to sit. And I, did, I don't do playing cards. I do just random.org. When I got in there about two minutes late, one kid had already taken the initiative to go to on his website, on his computer, to go to random.org, randomize the class, they all sat down, they all started working, I have these paths for them to work on, um, which I learned at the building thinking um, classrooms conference this summer in Indiana, and I was Mm, so mm. proud of them that they just got started. Even though Ms. Romert was late, they just got started on their task and they got started in their random groups. And um, so I'm here to say it it worked and I'm so proud of those kids. And and what you said about who's doing the thinking, and that's my focus. I want my kids doing the thinking. And ever since Mm -hmm. I've been doing building thinking classrooms, I'm less tired as a teacher because Mm -hmm. the thinking has been delegated to the students where it should be. Um, But here's where I struggle and here's where my next question lies. I am really struggling with the assessment piece of building thinking Mm. classrooms. And yes, my kids are doing the thinking, but I'm not really sure how to assess that. So what advice do you have for a Mm. teacher who's just struggling with the assessment part?
2: Yeah, no, this is this is a great question and one that we love having conversations about. And, you know, actually, you had mentioned the virtual summit. We are so excited to have you at the virtual summit. We're also Uh, excited to have Peter joining us at the summit on the Friday night. Actually, John and I are going to be doing a session with Peter. We're going to be talking about the closing, as he likes to call it, of a lesson. And with that comes a lot of the work that needs to happen in the assessment piece, which is those observations and the conversations and seeing student product, which, you know, in that environment might be on a vertical non-permanent surface, but ultimately at the end of the day, trying to figure out who knows what, who heard what, and where do we go next? So my wonder for you would be, and this is something that we would ask, you know, most of our, our um, you know, our, our colleagues that we have either on the podcast that we, we host or some of our district leaders that we're working with. And I guess my wonder would be is like, so where do you feel that that struggle, like where do you, where are you running into that little hiccup? Where's that pebble in the shoe sort of, you know, revealing itself to you? Is it that you're feeling like, you know, you're sort of like, away from, you know, having that physical copy in your hands? Or is it like, is there something else there that's sort of making you feel like you're a little bit out of your element when it comes to the whole assessment piece? Uh, how, how, you know, how, uh, how, do you, how do you feel or at what point in the lesson do you feel where you're sort of going, I'm not sure what the next step would be?
1: So you're asking me where my pebble in the shoe is?
2: yeah yeah oh, okay. so talking about okay. assessment like where where is yeah. it revealing itself to you like where does it sort of hit you and you go oh shoot ah what what do i do now for my assessment piece
1: yeah i mean i, I work at a traditional grade school where we have pencil paper quizzes and tests and i think it's a, a culture thing that i'm afraid to veer away from that where our kids sit down and take a quiz and they take a test every three weeks and i feel like if i veer away mm-hmm. from that and 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 do a verbal interview or observable formative assessment that actually results in some sort of grade. then I'm not sure that I'm on solid footing mm-hmm. um, to be able to defend that. Right? If if somebody mm-hmm. were to question that,
2: super yeah. common. Yeah,
3: sure. yeah. That 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 is super common. And I think I think you know that was you know resorting to you know that traditional assessment technique, you know. There's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that and and there's completely nothing wrong with that. So many teachers who are you know building thinking classrooms or using building thinking classrooms in 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 their you know in their schools are still are still doing that. And and I think I think what you want to remember is is that 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 method of assessment is one is one approach. It's it's one piece of evidence that you know goes in the. You know, if you if you think about it, you're, you're like mind's portfolio, your your portfolio of like what kids know and what kids can do and what kids understand. And and when you get that, say, quiz or that test result on on, say, those standards, it's it's just it's just it's just a snapshot of of what they know on on those those standards at that time. And that goes into that bank, you know, that that kind of should either confirm or maybe it, maybe it, it 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 doesn't confirm what you already have witnessed observed uh you know had conversations with students along the way um on those standards and i think that's what you know you know having that you know learner centered space in in using building thinking classrooms allows you to do more than the i do we do model like when i taught you know that model that traditional model is i wouldn't know until the paper and pencil test whether kids could do or not do or you know or i checked homework but then i was like well how reliable was the homework so so when you're engaging students in that thinking first that's productive struggle activity first you can't just sit back and watch and do nothing like that would still put me in the same position of not knowing whether my students know or they don't know. Come the paper and pencil test, so, so getting in there and, and listening and, and observing and, and having those conversations and, and thinking about how how is what a student telling me, which is a piece of formative assessment. You are you are listening to their thinking on a standard, and you get to decide on how do I. Proceed. How do I give that student the next step, or how do I steer the whole conversation of the classroom into, say, the next step? Like all of that is a form of assessment, and that goes into thinking about how do how do I use that to make judgments or or recommendations to students on where they need to go next. For me, for me, that's that's how I'm I'm thinking about that assessment uh, using using building thinking classroom just allows you to gather as much information as you can use that to go, Hey, do we, do we need a paper and pencil assessment? Can I, can I feel confident that this student knows this set of expectations or this, this set of standards, you know, proficiently, you know, not so proficiently, maybe need some next steps. And then the paper and pencil can still be there. And it just confirms it confirms, you know, what you you know or you maybe what still what you don't know about what a student knows.
1: Well, you just really described like formative versus summative and I think that so many of us as educators we're so focused on the summative that mm-hmm. results in a grade that actually goes into a grade book, but there's so much more to assessment, so I'm so glad that you opened that wide wide open for us. Um my next question I have for both of you is if there's a teacher who does work at a more traditional type school and and wants to become more learner centered in their classroom, what advice do you have for them to get started?
2: Yeah, I would say you know what you can you can start with baby steps. The wrong word because it sounds you know it, it it sounds like you're not doing the whole the whole um, you know process. And the reality is is that. What really matters when it comes to, say, getting your students thinking is really starting with a task that elicits thinking. And one thing that we ask educators to do right away is just simply hold off. There's a book called The Coaching Habit, and this book is such a fantastic book. It's not intended for educators, but in this book, the quote that we love so much, and it applies to math class, and it really applies to any sort of situation where we're trying to help teach someone something is to stay curious a little longer and hold off on action and advice giving just a little bit longer. And they leave it so open because all they're saying is it doesn't mean that you never have an opportunity to have any sort of explicit instruction. And, you know, in actuality, we have to have explicit instruction in mathematics. Otherwise, there will be strings, loose ends that are not tied together. And some students may not understand what had happened in that particular activity. So we do need to be explicit. However, this idea is just to hold off on it let students do the thinking. So select a task that's going to be open enough that students are able to enter and they're able to leverage some of the tools that are in their tool belt. And usually this means picking a task that has some sort of context, something that students can use, understand and build on. And if you allow them to do that, you're then able to do this observation and incorporate conversations into the learning. And you can still do some of that traditional assessment and evaluation process. There, you know, that that doesn't have to be thrown out, you know, with the baby in the bathwater. Just do one step at a time and start to rethink when we tell students. Because when we tell students how to do mathematics before they're given the opportunity to think themselves, then all they start to do is, as Peter would say, is mimic, right? They follow the steps, they follow the procedures. And guess what? The kids who are able to memorize, like me, like John, uh, we were the lucky ones in the traditional classroom. I didn't enjoy the math that I was doing. I was just told that I was good at it because I had that ability to be able to mimic what was happening, enough pattern recognition that I could blindly follow. And the reality is is that that isn't going to work for all students and that actually it's not helpful for any students to just be blindly following along. We want students to all have the opportunity to think, and whether that's standing up at vertical non-permanent surfaces or working collaboratively in their seats, you can do this work regardless of the structure that's taking place in the world around you, be it in a school that might be traditional or that expects certain things to happen, we can still shift our practices so that students are doing more of the thinking. And once again, um, to allow those learners to be at the center of the learning.
1: I Part of my job here is I'm a teacher, but I'm also an administrator. And part of my role is to observe other teachers as part of our evaluation process. And like I said, we are a traditional grade school. But what you just described is what like every science lab is doing. And I think science teachers have been doing this Mm -hmm. for decades and decades. So uh, I would add to what you're saying, because the kids are in the driver's seat, and they're doing the thinking in a science lab. And I would say, you know, if you're not sure of how to turn your classroom into a thinking classroom, go see your science lab down the hall and, and see what they're doing. And I think we have so much to learn from our colleagues. So thank you for Mm -hmm. mentioning all of that. And you're right. It just takes, just start with something, just one thing.
0: I think that that's also true in non-math classes. Um, When I heard you talking about the holding off on giving feedback or advice, I was thinking about times where I was reading student papers and like my inclination as I'm reading an introductory paragraph, for example, is to start marking up if I didn't see what I thought I should see in that first paragraph, like already. And then three paragraphs later, I actually got to the point where they answered the questions I had at the beginning. So I trained myself to read the whole thing first and then go back and give feedback after. Hmm. And I think a lot of times teachers are so focused on the task at hand that it almost becomes robotic and we're not, we don't spend the time necessarily reading the mm. information in a way that could totally. be most user-friendly. So I, I appreciate that you said that. And I think that it's totally applicable in every single classroom in a lot of different situations. Um, and to that end, as as we think about wrapping up now and other people that should be on our radars. Are there specific folks you'd like to shout out as people we should recognize for promoting more learner-centered spaces?
3: Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So we've mentioned we mentioned Peter uh, Little. Um, but I think I think you know that that uh, goes you know, hand in hand. But uh, you know, at the summit that we have coming up, we've we've highlighted so many great speakers. Um, who, I think, I think at almost all of them, um, I can't think of one that wouldn't be, you know, in this space and thinking about learner-centered spaces as a as an important aspect to learning math. So, for example, um, in our in our Friday evening on November seventeenth uh, at our free free summit, we have uh, Pamela Seda, who wrote the book Choosing to See, and and she's uh, we've interviewed her on the podcast as well, but uh, a huge advocate for understanding you know what is it that we need to recognize about student brilliance and, and their identities in mathematics and she's going to be speaking at the summit um, and right after that or right you know parallel to that, we have Fawn Wynn who we just ran into at uh, the NCTM conference. Um, she's been doing a great job over her entire career of putting students into that thinking space first and foremost. Um, Sunil Singh, as it comes to mind, he he will also be speaking at the summit. Sunil does a great job about what it means to, uh, you know, what what is it about storytelling in math, and how how can we how can we celebrate students' stories, but use storytelling to uncover the math and and bring out the mathematics that students will engage with. Um, You know, uh, another one is Nikki Newton. We've had Nikki Newton, Dr. Nikki Newton on the podcast uh, on in past years in the summit, I think Nikki has been at every single one of our summits, maybe other than one, um, because this year is the fifth year, uh, we've been hosting this and and she's she's done a great job in elementary mathematics of, of putting you know l- you know younger students in in the forefront of, of thinking in the classroom and, and what what it means to do mathematics so um, that's that's a that's a bunch um, but uh, there are so many we've got only 30 uh, 30 speakers uh, speaking at the summit in November so uh, we're excited to uh, share all of them if, uh, if if your listeners are looking to say register in this free event, um, you can head on over to summit.makemathmoments.com. Um, you can you can engage in all of these speakers and more uh, throughout the weekend, uh, completely, completely open. Um, Kyle and I have, have made that sure. One of our goals at Make Math Moments is to provide high quality professional devel- development for as many teachers as we can. We want to make it as accessible as we can. So that's why we make this uh, weekend completely free.
1: And listeners can check the show notes to see the link to that registration and And please tell every math teacher, you know, to look into signing up for that, because I think it's going to be so helpful for all of us. So I want to thank you both for the work that you do um, to make math just so much more enjoyable because it's a beautiful subject. And I I think that we just we're enjoying it more and we're seeing its beauty as teachers and we're passing that on to the kids. and, And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing toward that.
2: Uh, Thank you both. We really appreciate uh, you having us. Excited to have you, Crystal, there. And uh, we thank you as well, Star, for, uh, you know, taking some time here to chat with us. So uh, hopefully we'll see you folks and so many more at the summit, November 17th to 19th.
1: Thank you for learning with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you'd like any additional information from the show, check out the show notes.
0: Learn more about Mastery Portfolio and how we support schools at MasteryPortfolio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mastery for All and on LinkedIn on the Mastery Portfolio page. And we'd love your feedback. Please write a review on your favorite podcasting app.